you for taking time to listen to this sermon podcast from First United Methodist Church and of our campus in Lexington, Kentucky. It is our prayer that as you listen today, you will be encouraged, challenged, and equipped to be all God has for you. We invite you to join us for worship on Sunday mornings at 11 o'clock a.m. at our Todd's Road campus near the Hamburg area of Lexington. Second Sunday of Advent in our church calendar. Uh, it's an interesting time to be reflecting on uh, these texts the church has given us. Um, I'm used to preaching the gospel, uh, the gospel lessons during Advent, and uh, I'm pretty sure uh, most of my childhood pastors preach the gospel every Advent Sunday. Uh, we get great gospel texts like this John the Baptist one, prepare the way, watch out you brood of vipers, someone's coming. Uh, this, this maybe ties us a little more to the traditional themes of uh, sin and death and heaven and hell and judgment that uh, Advent is filled with as we wait for Christmas. Uh, they invite us uh, to reflect on uh, what we really believe about God, about God taking on flesh and Jesus and what God has called us as the church to do uh, now. This year we're, we're preaching through the epistle text, the, the New Testament letters and uh, we're still in the book of Romans. Uh, this week we are uh, very close to the end of the book of Romans. Once again, Romans is uh, a text Paul is writing to the church that's probably really Peter's church, not his, who are divided. You have Gentile Christians who have been staying, staying in Rome, living their best life now, kind of doing the great Christian Gentile thing. And then you have the Jewish Christians who have been banished from Rome under Caesar and are just now being allowed to come back. And most of this epistle is how do these two groups relate? The Gentile Christians now have the larger numbers. They have uh, kind of the blessings of, uh, of uh, governmental powers. And the Jews have the Old Testament and the witness that God has been working through Israel uh, since the time of Abraham. And as you can imagine, these two groups are struggling with how to live together. And Paul uh, kind of dances right between these lines. Paul can be uh, Jews for the Jews and uh, a Gentile for the Gentiles. He is uh, Jewish by ethnicity and by raising. He is uh, a, a Pharisee, a knowledgeable in the scriptures, a, um, a, a Jew's Jew. But because of his uh, father's vocation, most likely, he also has Roman citizenship and can participate in the empire in ways that uh, maybe uh, other Jewish Christians can't. And he's trying to talk to this church that he barely knows and, and convince them that unity is an essential value. That uh, setting some things aside that might be your preference or even your, your, your best practice, your understanding, uh, are, are, are things you should do for the sake of unity. Uh, we're getting towards the end of the epistle where Paul is just really starting to play this out in lots of different ways. And, and what's at hand in this section is the question of uh, do you eat kosher or do you not? Uh, in the book of Acts, we see this solved uh, earlier on. Uh, they go to Jerusalem and they go to James and they say, help us know uh, what, what laws do we have to follow, what don't we? And, and they, they have this council that comes down with an answer. Don't eat things sacrificed to pagans. And that's about it. 
This is a huge shift for this new movement that really is born out of Judaism, that uh, the, the food laws of the Old Testament are no longer binding. But he says, if you want to eat kosher, eat kosher. If you don't, don't. Things like that never work out as cleanly as we think they do, right? Live within your own tension. You think what you think, and I'll think what I think, and we'll just be grand. Paul is at his wit's end. He probably doesn't have any hair left at this point. He's been in enough prisons. But if he did, he's just pulling these little pieces back here and wanting to pull them out because he's trying to tell them, okay, I know, I know you've been told you don't have to eat kosher, and I know you've been told eat kosher if you want to. Y'all got to stop fighting about eating kosher. Because the thing at hand right now is the sake of the gospel in the world. And there's enough stuff outside of us that y'all got to stop it. Stop judging one another. And frankly, give up some of your own prerogative for the sake of others. This is the material that leads right into today's lesson. Uh, Jesus is held up as the uh, par excellence, the exemplar for the church of what to do. This is God who took on flesh and could literally bamboozle the whole world and instead goes to death for all of humanity. He takes on the death that was ours, and he then defeats sin and death uh, in ways that they could not imagine. They wanted the warrior king. They wanted the root of Jesse, the stump, who, or the root that come out of the stump, who was going to be David's mighty warrior. And instead, they get this very gentle man who flees from violence, who encourages his people not to be violent, and then who goes to death. And Paul holds this up as the example of how the church in Rome is to live for one another. And this is, this is what proceeds right before our text. And then he says, this is for your hope and endurance that uh, you might be encouraged. May the God of endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude towards each other, similar to Christ's attitude. Hey, Rome, I know we said you didn't have to eat kosher, and you could. Can you lay down your preferences for one another? Can you set aside this thing that has been absolutely essential for thousands of years and say, this is not the essential hill we're going to die on. The hill for us is unity. Can you take on uh, this sacrificial love that Christ took on for the sake of the church? That way... You can glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ together with one voice. So welcome each other in the same way that Christ welcomed you for God's glory. The church was a church for the longest time. Uh, denominations are, are, are a relatively new thing. Uh, the church was the one holy Catholic and apostolic church for the longest time, and then they disagreed about, disagreed about a pretty major thing, which is how the Holy Spirit uh, proceeds from God the Father and from Jesus Christ. And so the church splits to the east and the west. And then really, that's the, that's the whole family tree for hundreds of years. And then we come to the Reformation, which is, which is probably an important time. Uh, a, a disparate group of people come and say things in the, uh, the Western church, in the Catholic church, the one holy Catholic church, are maybe not going the way they're supposed to. Um, maybe you don't have to buy your salvation. Maybe you can get it other ways. And so we have the Continental Reformation where Luther nails his things to the door. Calvin does his thing. I might have gotten that backwards. I know it's Luther. Uh, they, they have their Reformation and they, um, 
begin to say that no, salvation is through faith alone, and, and we now get a few little branches. We have the Orthodox Church, we have the Catholic Church, and then we have the Protestants, who at this point are, are really best lumped together as Protestants. Uh, not too far down the road, though, things begin to fracture. Oh, well, I don't like this thing about you, so we're going to split. And then I don't like this thing about you, so we're going to split. Uh, and uh, if you're familiar with fractals, they occur in nature all the time where they kind of branch out from each branch. It's a beautiful thing to see burned into wood. It's a, it's a painful thing to see in the church, to watch uh, this thing that Christ has declared as essential uh, become uh, secondary to every other uh, matter. There was nothing more essential to Israel's religion than being God's people and marked through law as God's people. And Paul is saying, set it aside. And then to the Gentiles, there was nothing more than the freedom to say, you can live the way you want, but maybe you need to stop living the way you want so that you're not causing this group to stumble. Your unity is too important, so stop it so that God can be glorified. And hey, when I tell you to stop it, the only way you can is through the Spirit. So invite that same Spirit in to, to help you stop it, that in all things God may be glorified. May the peace of God, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace and faith, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. We don't talk about unity enough in the church. We, uh, we lift up lots of different values that are great things. The church should stand for something and we should have our beliefs and our core convictions. Uh, but we, have, we have, uh, have in some ways made unity out to be a dirty word. Well, that's, that's the language of compromise and that's the language of lukewarmness. No, it's the language of a virtue that God desired for his church. And it means doing the hard work through the power of the spirit to be his church. I've disappointed enough of you to know this isn't about Chad. Y'all have disappointed enough of each other to know that it's not about each of you. Uh, our unity is not because we just love each other so much and it's just so easy and things are never hard and we don't disappoint each other. Unity is a thing for us because the Holy Spirit can work in and through us because it has been commanded that we do it. It's not easy though. I, I get the fractals. I get the denominational formings. I get, I, I get all of it. I want to reclaim unity. I want to reclaim it as one of our key virtues, one of the things that undergird, undergirds who we are. You don't have to look far to see that the, the universal church has problems. There is not a denomination that has uh, not fought and been nasty. There is not a denomination untouched by uh, all sorts of sins. There's not a denomination who hasn't had horrible scandals they should be ashamed of. There are not denominations who are actively out there doing things you'd be horrified by. God loves the church. It's not easy to be a United Methodist these days either. I'll tell you, um, we're doing a pretty good job of tearing each other down on our own. Uh, 
The forces of evil at work uh, are delighting in some of what we are doing to each other. We have uh, left behind the great gifts of Methodism for infighting and name-calling. But I have great hope for the people called Methodists. We're not without struggles here at the Andover campus, the First Methodist Church, are we? I don't hear much complaining, but I'm sure at some point there are some things you look around and go, I would not do church in this way. Don't nod too hard, y'all. Just pretend I am not seeing you on the front row going, mm-hmm. <laughs> there are things that we would change, right? But I have great hope that the spirit who held together the church for the last 2,000 years can hold us together in Christian unity, not as some milk toast lukewarm uh, platitude, but as a cardinal virtue that will then help the Spirit of Christ indwell in us that through our messy unity, God will be making us holy. That that instead of uh, fleeing from each other for, for whatever reasons, that we flee towards each other and that God uses us to refine one another until the time when Christ comes in final victory and we feast at his heavenly banquet. Christ modeled it in his death and he'll bring it to fulfillment in his, res- in his new life in resurrection of our bodies in new creation. In the time when the sun shines uh, does not matter because God's brilliance is upon the earth. Until then, may we model the same unity that looks like laying our lives down, that looks like uh, at times having to, to give up on one thing to care for one another. May we invite the Spirit who emboldened Christ to be and to do, to do the same thing in and through us. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Lord, uh, set our hearts on fire for, uh, uh, for your church and for the witness we might continue to be and, and the people we might be together. Lord, give us a heart for unity that is not... Um, a way of escaping hard things, but is instead a desire to, uh, to glorify you and to love one another. Lord, would you pour your spirit on us in mighty and powerful ways that we might be made holy, that uh, in and through us the world might see your face, and that uh, heaven might begin uh, breaking in right in the world's midst. We pray all this in the name of Jesus Christ, the one who did this for us and through the power of the Holy Spirit who enabled him to do it. Amen. Amen.